And welcome to the 22nd action-packed episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that is now known as Podcast Recool. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, aka at Word of Commander, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey guys, really glad to be here. Uh, really looking forward to today. Uh, we got valuable information for everyone. Keep in mind the show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Cliff, why don't you break down our four segments for the folks today? Like every week, James, we've got four segments. First, we're going to talk about the top movers, what things went up, when things went down. Then we're going to go over your picks and my picks for this week, where you should put your magic money. Then we're going to talk about some recent tournament results. And finally, we're going to finish up with the hot topic, the new awesomeness, the previews from Eldritch Moon. Oh, can't wait. But what's our big, what's, what's our big movers this week, James? Yeah, let's dive right in on some of the movers and shakers in the world of MTG Finance. Uh, starting off with uh, Greater Gargadon, uh, Time Spiral Rare. Uh, continues its climb up the ladder. Um, showed gains uh, a few weeks back, and this week we've got it moving from 375 to 450 for another 75 cents on the copy. Uh, 20% change. Just uh, worth noting that uh, supply is slowly drying up on this card, and it could end up in the five to ten dollar range in the near future. It's still continuing a, a trend that uh, people have shown. It's not putting up amazing results yet that I've seen, but. It's becoming more popular, and that means this, the namesake sacrifice card, is going to keep ticking upward. Yeah, I mean, it was reprinted in Modern Masters, but even that version of the card is only showing, uh, you know, 20 or 30 copies on uh, TCG Player. So I would say that somebody's making a move. I, I think this is there's some organic demand from a couple of fringe decks in Modern, um, and, you know, occasionally this shows up in things like Cube, but uh, this definitely looks like a... a a person or a team of people that are targeting the card over a period of time, um, hoping to make it a thing. So, uh, you know, if you need some copies for something or you're planning on fooling around with it, pr probably not going to get reprinted anytime soon. I don't think it's going to be a high-value target for uh, inclusion in Modern Masters 2017 next summer. Um, so certainly nowhere to go but up. Yeah, and it's, it's just a creature. It does come in with haste, and that's nice, but... You know, it, it's going to get path to exile pretty easily, and you've done all this work to get this giant creature out, and it's got no protection for itself. So, uh, Godspeed if you're going to build something ridiculous with it, though. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the thing with this card has always been that it's what you're sacrificing that matters, not the creature you get at the end that tends to end up being gravy. Um, but, uh, you know, let's let's see where it goes. I mean, I, I'm still looking to make this work with aggressive mining. Um Except that it's one of the types that is not on the card. I mean, I can sacrifice artifact creatures or Yeah, lands, red won't let you um, sacrifice the enchantment. Yeah, so it just never works every time I try it. Um, all right, so moving on, tell me what the next card on the list. Next up, we're talking about Foil Lord of Atlantis, the 7th edition foil. It's gone from about 58 up to 80. 
gaining $22, a little over a third of its value. Uh, this seventh edition foils always have a special place in people's hearts. It was the first core set that was foil, and you get black border foils from a white border set. Uh, Merfolk is officially good in modern. You have a really great set of lords to work with. You can play spreading seas, and you're actually getting two bonuses from it, not just the card, but you're also giving your stuff island walk. And uh, it's probably going to continue being good. There's a tiny supply of 7th edition foils out there. Uh, I know of multiple collectors who build the 7th edition foil set, because that was the first time you could get the core set in foil. And uh, it's probably going to go up a little more, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I find it interesting that the uh, JSS promos um, can still be had for in and around $35, um, whereas the 7th edition is is peaking so much higher. Um, personally, um, I'd be happy with the JSS. Uh, so something to keep in mind if you're looking to foil out your merfolk. Yeah, or um, just the, the casual appeal of Lord of the Atlantis can never be overstated either. Yeah, Merfolk is you know a, a permanent fixture on on the casual scene. It's a, a beloved tribe amongst old school Magic players, um, and as you said, it's been putting up results in modern, winning multiple tournaments and taking down multiple top eights this year. What else is keep going up, James? So we've also got Thoughtlash still on the move. Um, you know, when we first checked in on this card about a month ago, it was up from two dollars. Now it's settling in closer to seven. Um, I, it's a reserved list card, and it, it does see play as a four of in Laboratory Lash and Legacy, which is a blue-white prison-style counterbalance deck. But it's not like that deck is is seeing a lot of play or has put up any like significant results of note. Um, so it leads me to believe that this is just you know on somebody's list of reserved uh, list cards to be targeting, um, and they're just trying to choke off the supply and see what happens. Um, not something you should be running out to buy, but you know it, it could show uh, additional gains up to the $10 range um, uh, if they keep contributing funds into removing copies from the marketplace. Uh, yeah, there's. Uh, we talked about it, I think, two weeks ago, and we were a little surprised by it moving up to the $4 range, and now it's pushing 7 and... Uh, the people who got in on the first wave, if you were trying to manipulate the market and create the spike, congratulations, you've done it. I hope you can sell into the spike. And for everybody else, uh, don't buy these. Just don't. You're, you're feeding into a bad mentality if you are trying to ride this wave at this point. Yeah, I mean, the, the premise of uh, reserved lists or low supply buyouts is... Uh, a constant theme throughout the rest of the, our movers list this week, um, but I like some of these other picks a little better. So, I mean, next on the list we have Ali from Cairo and Juzum Jin, both from Arabian Nights. Um, Ali from Cairo going from 50 to 75, um, Juzum going from 375 to 575 for a, a $200 gain, um, both over 50% total. Um, these are both reserve lists. They're both 93-94 cards. Um, Juzum more than Ali. Um, and the buyouts here are relatively easy because the supply was already pretty low. Um, and the premise here is that these are as collectible as they might, you know, more collectible than they are playable. Um, and that because they can never be reprinted and they have nostalgia value for, you know, uh, you know, magic players from the 90s, 
um, that they're relatively safe blue chip bets. Um, and we've seen this over and over again this year with multiple tier one, tier two collector staples um, from that era. So, you know, I think whoever's doing this has to be at this point seeing that it's working. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's a combination of, you know, players that don't make a lot of, uh, I mean, uh, players in this marketplace that don't make a lot of noise that do, uh, you know, are committed to more action than they are talk. And, you know, it's a, guys who are vendors, guys that are power sellers on eBay. Um, and you know, they've done this before. They continue to do it. There's probably more than a few different groups in operation. And uh, these are cards I would not advise sitting on. If you ever want to own any of these old school cards, um, now is probably the time to get in because I don't think it's going to get any better. And even if it's hard to unload these uh, quickly, um, they will bleed out over time uh, as the market you know, uh, looks to acquire them here and there. Well, I can tell you that as somebody who uh, I remember seeing Jazam Dazin for the first time, and going, oh my god, four mana for a 5-5, five, five, and all it does is ping me a little bit? That seems, well, actually I'm coloring it with my modern thinking. Uh, I remember thinking, one damage is bad. Why would I want that? <laughs> and um, like this is, it's not about the power of the creature. It's Like you said, it's all about the incredibly small number of copies that are out there. Again, this was a collector item. This was iconic early on. This was one of the biggest things you could do for cheap. And uh, now that people are really getting into 93, 94 or old school, I haven't decided which I like better for calling the format. Uh, they haven't really come to a consensus either. But uh, I think it's fantastic that this is an actual format that people will play, except for the fact that it is rapidly becoming not only something driving a lot of spikes, but it is definitely not something that you can just jump into. It's absolutely something if you either already have the cards or you are willing to undertake a serious financial commitment. Yeah, I mean, 9394 Magic is going to turn out to be as expensive or more so than Modern or Legacy down the road The if you want to have a super competitive deck. the It's interesting because Juzum only has one copy for sale <clears throat> that's been reposted at 800 on TCG and Near Mint. Oh my um, goodness. So, you know, this is what happens, right? You buy up the inventory, you, you post it back and see what ha like whether there are any takers. If there aren't after a certain period of time, whatever your limit is for, um, you know, risk uh, 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 acceptance, then you can, you know, start to ratchet down the price um, and post it in a variety of venues and see what happens. The, uh, you know, it's not something I would recommend snapping up at $800. I think you want to wait and see how that settles out. Um, and, you know, you're unlikely to get the value. I mean, that's a whole modern deck for the cost of one collectible. But you have to have that one collectible. It's got to be from then. So, like, for example, I've got one Alpha Lightning Bolt sitting around. And I'm wondering if I should just list it someplace on a Lark and put a ridiculous price on it. Uh, and just cross my fingers, and I might do that, just to see if I can get a nibble on the line. Well, I mean, a little tip for anybody who's trying to go down that road is, if you're operating on eBay, one of the things I've noticed as a Canadian, um, dealing with uh, Americans all the time on that platform, is that U.S. vendors are very averse to sending things overseas. So if you post uh, with uh, reasonable international shipping, um, for some of these high price tag items, 
sometimes you're just going to find that guy, that one dude in Peru um, who's rich and collects magic cards, and he's going to pay you uh, a premium to be the only person that's willing to ship it to him. Um, so just something to keep in mind. I mean, a lot of the Japanese Modern Masters 2015 boxes that I invested in ended up getting shipped overseas. I'd say probably four out of every five. Um, and we're going to places like Germany and South Africa and all over the place. So uh, make sure that you keep your options open when you're trying to find buyers for some of these niche pro uh, high price tag items. That is ridiculously awesome. Japanese cards heading to South Africa. <laughs> So uh, tell me about the last card on our list this week. Uh, last one this week is Foil Nimbus Maze. It's jumped uh, almost double in price from $33 to $73. Uh, we talked about the uh, Nimbus Maze last week in non-foil, and this week the foil version has followed suit, uh, maybe because we are just that much of a trendsetter. But it's uh, a, a hype. It's a buyout for the blue-white Eldrazi decks that want colorless. They want white mana. They want blue mana. And this is one of the best lands to get all that done. As long as you already have uh, one Hollowed Fountain in play, this is three colors of mana for your Eldrazi deck. Yeah, I mean, I, certainly not a move that's being uh, precipitated by us or by um, play patterns in, in the metagame. Um, definitely looks like the continuation um, and uh, of the bio from last week, as well as potentially some bandwagon jumping from everybody that took notice. Um, you know, it's it's not clear that this card can hold this price in in foil. I just don't know that the demand is there. It's not a, a, a collectible, nostalgia laden um, staple from 20 years ago. It's uh, a future site rare. Um, you know, it's interesting to me though that you know. Here we have yet again uh, a rare from Future Sight posting big returns. Um, Future Sight has got to have the title of king of MTG finance uh, from a sets perspective. There have just been has been so much value generated uh, for anybody that was holding that set over a long period of time, um, and uh, it was certainly lucky for me because it was one of the sets I opened the most. Um, and oddly enough, I never. Never seemed to have found any Tarmogoyfs, but I certainly did well with things like Nimbus Maze and uh, Grove of the Burn Willows and so forth that I remember buying multiple playsets of on eBay back in the day and sitting on for far, far too long. All right, so moving on to segment two this week, we have our cards to watch. Uh, why don't you jump in with your first pick of the week, Cliff? Uh, my first one of the week is, uh, I feel pretty good about it. I put an 8 of 10. I like picking up Kalidas, Trader of Get. Uh, he is currently about $23 for the Mythic out of Oath of the Gatewatch. And uh, he has become stock a two of in Jund lists in Modern. And he's also got a year left of, uh, well, more like nine months of playability left in Standard. Uh, for four mana... He does a ridiculous amount of things, and if he's got enough value to be uh, good enough in modern, then I think that 23 is a price I'd want to be in on. I'd be looking to get out around 40. I mean, I think there's there's a there's definitely potential for a spike here. Um, I'm not sure that the uh, you know he can hit hit 40 without uh, combined modern and uh, standard ubiquity. Um, at least not in the short term. Um, I would expect that we probably see 
uh, a spike at 30 if he's good in uh, a major standard deck this fall at rotation. Um, on the basis that the spread on the card, um, not between buy list and retail, but the spread between um, the lowest uh, uh, listed near mint copies on the internet and the majority of copies is actually quite high. I mean, there, there are copies available as, as low as $21, um, but a lot of them are, are posted closer to 30. Um, that leads me to believe that you, d you don't need to snap many copies up to move the market. Um, and I think that, I'm not sure I believe in your $40 price tag, but I would certainly be easily convinced that, you know, getting in near 20 and getting out near 30, um, perhaps by unloading during a spike, uh, on Puka Trade or something will be a doable thing. Fair enough. Uh, tell us about one of your first picks this week, James. So in, in keeping with the theme of, uh, reserved list cards that are likely to spike, um, I have a confidence level of eight uh, with a timeline of mid to long on Bazaar of Baghdad out of Arabian Nights. This is the perennial enabler for dredge decks in, in Legacy and Vintage. Um, it's already seen a major spike uh, not too long ago. I think it was in uh, early mid-2015 that it moved up from 400 and set up shop around 700 to 800. Um, but they're just, you know, the, so many copies were drained uh, out of the market during that spike that there's just not much inventory around. And um, if your copy is in particularly good shape, you can kind of name your price. Um, with major movement on cards like Tabernacle uh, uh, already uh, on the record um, and testing new plateaus, I think that Bazaar could easily post up over 1,000 uh, in the near to midterm. So I'm, I'm targeting it at 1,100 from 800 for a $300 per copy gain, about 38% or so. That's a big buy-in, but with the prices that some of these lands are reaching, I can't argue. And especially, like you said, if you've got one that's in very good condition, then I would absolutely be uh, holding on to that until it goes crazy again, because it's, it's apparently it's only a matter of time. Yeah, I mean, these are and these are the kind of targets that if you're at a big event um, and you can find somebody that has, you know, even a beat copy. Uh, if you can trade out a bunch of standard and or modern staples for one of these things, oh, yeah. don't don't be scared to take uh, a major hit at the trading table. Um, you know, at GP New Jersey, um, I wrote a couple of articles about trading up into uh, an, a near mint unlimited Black Lotus. Um, and I gave up about, on that particular day, that Lotus was probably worth something like 3000 US, and I gave up about 3600 in value. But fast forward uh, a, a week or two, and Lotuses had already spiked based on Star City Games uh, increasing the buy list uh, price for Lotuses, and you know has since showed steady gains. And that Lotus today, especially with currency exchange, etc., is worth you know somewhere in the neighborhood of you know, 4500 to 5000 US. So you know, these are, you can't rely on these big ticket old school items to uh, provide instant satisfaction, but they very rarely steer you wrong in the long term. And it's a great way to consolidate your specs um, into a more manageable portfolio that doesn't require as much maintenance. Yeah, there's, there's very little that can go wrong with, uh, like you said, consolidating. Uh, I would absolutely take a hit trading standard and modern up for power. Uh, I've done that in the past and felt really good about it because now I have something that is ne is not going to go down uh, barring the 
unforeseen collapse of the entire game. Yeah, fair enough. So tell me about your next pick. So uh, I've got an odd little sideboard card that I want to talk about. It's Devastating Summons out of Rise of Eldrazi in Foil. This is one red as an additional cost, sacrifice X lands. Put two XX tokens onto the battlefield that are elementals. The foils on this are currently 15, and I think in the long term they are a good bet to double because uh, right, right now it's only seeing play as uh, one or two of in sideboards for Modern Zoo. It hasn't gotten a lot of publicity at this point, and that's one of the things that I am keyed on. I always like to look at what finished outside of the top eight. I like to look at the things that did well but didn't necessarily get camera time. And um, one of my other picks this week is related to this, these decks play ridiculously fast. Um, you're going to go, uh, t these zoo decks will go turn one, experiment one, turn one, Nakadal, turn two, uh, Burning Tree into Tarmogoyf or something else. And because this is a Rise of Eldrazi uh, foil rare, there's a pretty low supply, and it's not going to take, it's going to take one good hit of publicity for these to go up, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'm not generally in favor of chasing obscure foils um, that are, you know, one-ofs out of the sideboard or whatever, but um, looking at this card on TCG Player, there's only six copies available, and they range from $15 to 27 So, you know, snap up the, the last three copies at 15 bucks from Elemental Effects on TCG Player, and, you know, boom, maybe you get to set the market. Um, however you're probably going to be holding them for a while because demand is likely to be quite low. Um, you know, it's it's a bit of a, a, a risky pick in terms of the hold time. Um, but like you said, if there's any camera time or it does anything, uh, gets written up by a pro uh, on a mainstream article post or something, then, yeah, it could see some movement. What do you like uh, right now? I know you had a couple of fun Planeswalker picks. Yeah, I'm looking at both. Uh, Jace Friend's Prodigy and Nehiri the Harbinger um, trying to find entry points based on their potential ubiquity in modern. Um, Nehiri is clearly ahead of Jace uh, on that on that scale. Set, you know, she's posted up as um, in combination with Emrakul as as the kind of combo control piece that was necessary to put Jeskai control back on the map. Uh, it's been putting up solid results since gaining access to that combo. And uh, given the fact that Nahiri is often a four of in that deck, she could easily end up being a $40 Planeswalker since she came from uh, uh, a set that, though it is a large set, uh, you know, in Shadows over Innistrad, the, the thing is that Shadows is, was followed by multiple set releases over a very tight period of time. So I, some, I wonder a little about whether... Um, the total sales of Shadows are actually quite a bit lower than, say, something like Battle for Zendikar from last fall um, on the basis that there there was Eternal Masters and then Eldritch Moon and Conspiracy 2 um, right into Kaladesh, and that, that and there's an FTV release in there somewhere and, and the new Planeswalker decks are forthcoming. So it, it leads me to believe that, uh, that Magic Funds are stretched a little thinner um, through this summer than they normally are and that Nahiri's supply... Um, may suffer as a result, allowing her to rise a little faster. There's also the possibility that she's just 
uh, incredibly good and ubiquitous in standard decks based on art- her ability to, to damage artifact-based decks that are likely to be prevalent coming out of Kaladesh, um, the set that's releasing in the fall. So if you can get in on Nahiri, you know, anywhere near 20, and I've seen copies as low as 22 or 23, if you poke some people, some sellers on Twitter or Facebook, you might be able to get that $20 price point, uh, especially if you're buying multiple copies. Um, and then targeting for an exit over 30, um, you know, somewhere into the fall um, with your backup plan being a long-term hold based on modern results. Um, I think that's a pretty solid place to be. Jace is a little sketchier because though, you know, he was easily um, the most dominant and wanted card six months ago, um, you know, he's now started a steep decline. You know, copies have gone from almost $90 um, for non-foils down to the current 25. I'm looking for an entry point somewhere around 20 as well. Um, I mean, the full power of Flip Jace has not yet been unlocked in a top-tier modern deck, but he continues to show up in new lists, and that's what's got my attention. Something like Kalidus um, has pretty much slotted into Jund, and nobody's really expecting it to show up anywhere else. But given the 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 dual role um, of Flip Jace as potentially a looter with some backside upside, or uh, the... Uh, snapcaster imitation that he does once he's flipped there's a lot of different places he can he can fit in because his synergies are are quite open-ended um you know we still don't really have a reanimator style deck in modern yet that could easily show up at some point and then the looter capabilities become that much more interesting um we had that crazy uh blue white aggro control list that we saw running Zer the enchanter and geist of saint traft as well as Jace, all as four ofs last week that uh, was also featured in a deck tech on Star City Games this weekend. And so as Jace continues to fall towards rotation, I think you're going to get that shot at, you know, 15 to $20 copies. And at that point, I'm all in for at least four playsets. So one of the things that these two Planeswalkers have in common that I don't know if I noticed when they were first released. I mean, a lot of us missed the boat on uh, Flip Jace. But one of the things you have to be able to deal with if you were going to run a four of is what happens with multiples. And with both Nahiri and Jace, they have a built-in way to gain advantage from drawing more than one. Because you can uh, loot away your extra Jaces if you want. You can uh, use Nahiri's plus one to get rid of extra Nahiri's. And I think that really allows people to play four of much easier than something that is legendary or planeswalker with the same difference on the on what it means for the rule but being able to get rid of your extra draws of them having that built-in uh, way of have it not be a problem really works out for them and really enables you to to run the full playset instead of trying to shave a number to a three exactly and, and it's worth noting that nahiri is that, that's a plus two loot ability um, which is why she's so good because she gets to um throw Emrakul into play that much faster. The, um, you know, there's, there's no guarantees on either of these cards, um, but I like the fact that they have, that Nahiri especially has a chance to be spiked just on uh, standard play alone this fall and looks very strong as a long-term pick for Modern. Jace has stretched, stretches all the way back to Legacy and Vintage, um, you know, formats that aren't getting tremendous support, but certainly help to um, reinforce the demand pattern over time. I also think that, you know, given all of the buyouts we're seeing, um, I, I find it hard that the, you know, the buyout posse, as it were, isn't going to be looking at Jace um, uh, as a tempting target once he gets low enough. 
yeah, he's he's showing the legs, and I'm not sure what's causing this decline. I don't know if people are selling out in anticipation of uh, him rotating out of standard, but uh, I can't remember the last time I saw a card fall this far while it was standard legal. Yeah, I mean, I, I think people are just you know scared to get stuck holding. They've got when they when he was at ninety, they've got. Uh, you know, $360 worth of value um, tied up in four cards. And if they were only using them in standard, and a lot of people don't believe in the card for modern, I've been told by pros that he's not modern playable. Um, you know, that, that, that certainly contributes. People, you know, just don't want to be caught out losing all that value. So, I mean, but it's important to note that in, the, in January of 2015, when Jund was on the decline, Liliana was seeing almost no play in modern. And uh, dropped as low as forty-five dollars from her heights in and around a hundred. Um, at which point, I promptly scooped up twelve copies, um, <laughs> which you know turned into a double up. So you know, is Jace Liana? Mm, I'm not sure, but the he certainly has the potential to be played as heavily in modern as Liliana. Um, you know, she's basically only in the Jund deck. So when Jund is doing well, she's in high demand. When it's not. Not so much. Um, currently, Jund is doing well, so Liliana is going to hold that price point um, for most of the year. Um, so we need to we need to see Jay settle in. I mean, I, at first I thought it was going to be Grixis Control that would be the kind of quasi permanent home of Jace, and we did. There is a four color control list that did okay uh, at the Modern Classic um, last weekend at Star City, and and we continue to see those decks post up in the to top thirty two. Um, but we haven't seen one win a major tournament, and I think that that's what it's going to take for people to really start believing. Also, uh, keep in mind that the number of copies of Liliana versus the number of copies of Jace, uh, I mean, we're talking Innistrad Mythic versus Magic Origins Mythic. Uh, there was the uh, promo version of Liliana, but that's a that's a tiny number, and uh, I... I think supply is play, supply and price memory are probably playing a big part in Liliana's value too. True. Now, the thing I would I would point out though is that, uh, and you're right to say that, Innistrad at the start of the made the last big growth uh, period for Magic and Origins towards the end of that curve, um, are certainly in different uh, arenas in terms of total number of copies printed. However, um, Jace was from Origins. Um, is very hard to reprint. Origins is a summer set, relatively uh, small print run versus a fall set like Innistrad. So it's possible that their total numbers in the market are actually not that different. I'm wondering how much the uh, the price memory is working, though, because people are used to thinking of Liliana as a $100 card. They didn't have very long to think of Jace as that pricey. And he didn't get to $90 because he was standard awesome. He got to 90 because he was the immediate awesome new thing to do in Modern and in Legacy. So if, he, if he's good enough to be tried out there, then I think getting in at... Uh, if you can get these for $20 when uh, he rotates out at the beginning of Kaladesh, uh, I'm with you. I am with you all the way on $20 Jace, $25 Jace even. See, I, I think I have to beg to differ. I, I see the Jace uh, spike as as definitely ha 
having a component that came from people believing it was modern through vintage playable and being excited that he was the next big planeswalker. However, I think that the, the spike could never have happened if he had not been so ubiquitous in Jeskai Black and multiple other decks in Standard, where he was a four of and at least three, three prevalent decks in the format. And a lot of people had underestimated the card up front and not pre-ordered it and got caught um, out completely. You know, any, anybody in, you know, last October, November that needed to move in on Jeskai Black to be competitive in their local metagame um, or was playing one of the other decks that, that was running four of copies, uh, you know, there was Coco decks running it, you know, all sorts of things, um, you know, just had to suddenly had to go get four copies. And, and it was never two. It was always four. Um, and there wasn't really very much demand in modern and continues to not be very much demand from modern. Um, you know, there certainly is that legacy cube vintage, uh, playable playability. It's posted top eights in both legacy and vintage. Um, but you know, I, th I think that standard drove the price of Jace for the, for the most part. I think people will remember, um, that Jace was, you know, the most expensive card in, in standard for quite some time. But, um, I, I don't think that. I think that he has to put up the results in modern um, to really get the, for us to get the benefit from holding a lot of copies. One of the more interesting questions, though, is um, should I have did I miss out on a major opportunity to sell my foils because I moved in on foils uh, in and around sixty sixty five dollars um, relatively early on in, in the game. I think it was maybe September of last year, and had an opportunity to get out on the foils. You know, well over one twenty five, one thirty. Um, you know, the I made the choice to hold those foils because I think that long term they could be you know two hundred dollar cards, but it's possible that that's just wrong. That the the appropriate exit point has already passed, and I'm going to get stuck holding them for a while. Um, I like the foils better because there's you know far fewer of them than the non foils, obviously. Um, but uh, we'll see how it goes. And I'm I'm also holding a foil Russian promo, uh, like pre release version that's still in the wrapper. So I'm, I'm hoping that that's a future thousand dollar card. I think that you uh, need to keep in mind that there's a uh, San Diego Comic Con version of Jace out there, and that's going to give a different level of pressure on the foil. So if you want to have the uh, unusual version of Jace, if you want to have the, the foil, then you also can go for the super rare, the uh, promo black flip planeswalker, and I think it's going to take... I think he'll get to 200, but I think you're going to have to be super duper patient. I think that you're right. The, the San Diego Comic-Con version is cool, and it does put some uh, downward pressure on the foils, or at least set the ceiling. Um, but those are commonly posted at around 270. So uh, I think that the, the regular foils, if modern demand spikes, can easily hit 200. Um, there, as for the black foils, I mean, there's only there's less than... 15 copies posted pretty much anywhere on the internet. Um, I picked up two or three of them via Puka trade at around the equivalent of 27,000. Puka points is, you know, in cash. Ca if you're talking about cash value, somewhere around 220 or something, um, based on what I paid for the points. Uh, and I think those are great long-term holds, too. They're definitely going to be collector items. You should stop saying that you're paying for points. They're cracking down on that. <laughs> The, uh, so tell me about your last pick of the week. My last pick is uh, another one that uh, is in the Zoo deck. It's Foil Reckless Bushwhacker out of Oath of the Gatewatch again. Uh, it's a Foil Uncommon, 
and you might not think it has the price multiplier that it does considering the normal one is about a quarter but the foils are at five dollars and uh, I have picked up a few of these over Puka Trade lately and it's a four of in these awesome zoo burning tree emissary decks because the surge play of turn two uh, burning tree emissary into reckless bushwhacker with the surge cost means that you are crashing in for a ridiculous amount of damage on turn two. At that point, you can say, you know, nice serum visions, bud, and, you know, you've already dealt them 10 damage or more potentially, depending on just how busted your draw was. Uh, because it's played as a four of, uh, I feel better about this, and I'm okay with holding on to these for a while. I think they're going to go climb from $5 up to the $10 range. Yeah, I like this pick. There, there are not very many uh, of the foils left um, on TCG, especially for an uncommon that was, you know, released within the last, you know, six months. Um, so yeah, I mean, this this looks uh, like a, a pretty tasty pick. You could pick up, say, you know, a couple hundred dollars worth of these and pretty much set the market. Well, I, if I had the budget for that, I would. Uh, I am content to have my uh, playset and see if I get any more. And then just uh, when they spike, I'll flip them back for more points and continue the delightful cycle. Yeah, fair enough. Let's uh, move on to our metagame weekend review. Tell me about what uh, went down at the SCG Modern Open this weekend. Well, at the uh, Modern Open, the uh, that was the one that was on camera. Uh, Grixis Delver won it all. There was uh, an infect was second. Jun Jeskai, a living end deck, uh, a great zoo deck, another Jeskai deck, uh, an Abzon company. But uh, my personal favorite was ninth place, a deck they're calling Eldrazi Taxes, which has the really really tasty uh, play of Tide Hollow Sculler to exile something out of their hand into Wasteland Strangler, which is just value eight different ways. And you can whatever they were, whatever you needed to lock out with the Sculler is now in their graveyard, but they can't get it back just by killing the Sculler. You kill the creature of theirs as well, and because they've got Eldrazi Displacer in the deck, there is the capability to start doing all these shenanigans at instant speed, which really makes my heart sing. Uh, say they're going to draw a card, they've got a Delver or something in play, and if you happen to have six mana. Uh, two of it colorless, you can, during their draw step, flicker your Tide Hollow, get the card out, and then flicker your Wasteland Strangler to kill their, to make them discard the card and then kill their Delver and just un prevent them from having a turn. I love it so hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty sexy. The, the other thing I love about um, these Eldrazi builds and how easily they... Uh, are all these Eldrazi creatures are fitting into different color patterns based on their relatively loose color requirements, um, is, you know, we're constantly seeing things like Wasteland Strangler, Thought Not Seer, um, and Eldrazi Displacer show up again and again in, in a whole bunch of different uh, builds and, and formats. And it makes me feel very good about uh, holding as many foreign and foil versions of some of those cards as I am. Um, I really don't think it can be overstated how powerful... Um, easy color transference is um, for the Eldrazi creatures. And and 
I still have my suspicions that Oath of the Gatewatch sales were choked off because of Eldrazi Winter and how people didn't really want to buy packs or boxes of that past the first couple of weeks when they realized that, that a lot of the cards in the set were potentially going to be underutilized once the, the deck got banned in Modern. Um, and so I think that the, the foils uh, for things like Thought Knot and, and Reality Smasher even has a copy in this deck are, are good targets. I also uh, picked up on three Shambling Vent in this deck. Um, I'm holding a lot of foils of that card um, because I think that any deck that's black-white is going to be running it as a three or a four of from here on out in Modern. Um, and uh, that seems like a good place to be. Uh, I also like the, uh, the, the four-color control deck that finished 12th. Um, this is basically a Grixis deck that splashes white for uh, a couple of cards. I believe that we're talking about um, Timely Reinforcements in the main uh, as a single copy. And mm, I like that. And then out of the sideboard, it gives access to Lightning Helix, uh, three more copies of Lingering Souls, uh, and Soulfire Grandmaster, of all things. Um, but the deck was running four Snapcaster Mage, two Jace Friends Prodigy, uh, and three Tassiker. So we see Jace showing up in Modern, doing you know getting a top 16. Um, three copies of Tassiker, um, a card that I think is uh, undervalued for, for the long term as well. And uh, we saw four Snapcaster in the winning deck in Grixis Delver, and four Snapcaster in Jeskai. I think that the price of Snapcaster is an interesting conundrum because if it's reprinted next summer in Modern Masters 2017, um, maybe you don't want to be holding a lot of copies. Um, but it's also possible that Modern Masters 2017, after the kind of semi-fiasco that was the print run of 2015, where uh, supply definitely outpaced demand and Channel Fireball ended uh, up blowing out boxes at $200, 40 below uh, MSRP, um, it's possible that... Uh, the triangulation of that uh, series of events and um, the uh, lowered uh, supply for Eternal Masters may lead to some a print run that's somewhere in the middle, and that the key cards like Liliana and Snapcaster will pretty much just hold their hold their values, um, and and you might get a chance to get in on them pretty low in the first you know week or so, but that they rebound uh, pretty easily, and you're not going to be um, stuck holding. So. You know, Snapcaster has always struck me as the kind of card that could easily um, hold 60 to 80 consistently um, when it's the, as prevalent as it seems to be in multiple decks in Modern. Um, but, you know, maybe we need to see how the, the Modern Masters set next summer plays out before we decide to move in. I think that um, when they officially announce that the Modern Masters set will include Innistrad, Spike, Snapcaster is going to drop. At that point... If he hits, uh, if he's 60 to 80 now, let's call it, I don't think it would drop lower than 40. Do you think it would drop to 30? I can't see it dropping to 30. Well, Snapcaster's already lower than 60 to 80. I'm saying that it's a card that could hold 60 to 80, but the, the actual price uh, is closer to, let me just see what today's numbers are. It's holding about $50. Um, so All right. I'm, I'm, so let's I'm say saying it, that it drops, drops by half to a third. I would feel pretty comfortable picking them up at that point, even if it's a, a rare in a slightly more uh, printed set, uh, more like 2015 instead of uh, 2013. Uh, it's just that good. Uh, it's played as a four of all over the place. It's one of the best cards you can have in a cube or a commander deck. Uh, when it when it drops, I think I'm going to be ready to, to pick up a few. I don't 
I don't feel any any fear about that. Uh, Liliana, I'm more hesitant about because she isn't played as much. But Snapcaster is one of the most ubiquitous creatures in Legacy and Modern. Uh, he, I'm not sure about his vintage play, but just two mana, get your spell back, get a creature. It's it's ridiculously good. And uh, I will also say that the I really hope they go with the original Innistrad art because I really don't like the promo art. Yeah, oh, well, I definitely agree that I don't like the promo art. Um, and it uh, be interesting to see what art they select. Uh, for the Modern Masters 2017 edition. If it's the promo art that nobody likes, um, then original copies may actually spike. Um, if it's brand new art and the art's sexy, then that might become the, the default art. I mean, it's interesting to note that we saw um, what can happen when, when the new art is better. Um, the Eternal Masters uh, foils uh, with the new Therese Nielsen art are, are already outpacing judge foils. Um, that's fairly uh, amazing. And, you know, I, I talked to multiple people that were trying to unload Judge Foils in my direction um, on Puka Trade in favor of getting into Eternal Masters Foils. And that's a card I would have been happy to take at like $800 worth of points six months ago. And now I, I, I consider it toxic. I don't want to be anywhere near that card. Yeah, you don't. And did you see on uh, Twitter, uh, was it Saito or Haria? Somebody had a set of Japanese foil Eternal Master Force of Wills for 5500 And I had to stop. <laughs> I had to think, is that reasonable? That seems frighteningly reasonable. That's only like a, if foil English foil is five to six hundred right now, then how would I feel about double that for a Japanese? I'm probably okay with that. I, if I had fifty five hundred and a burning urge to make my deck just the the hotness, I would probably do that. I was being offered copies a couple weeks ago at a thousand apiece, so I think the best move on those has already uh, flown the coop. Um, they dried up pretty quick in Japan. Very few copies leaked overseas, um, as was expected. So there was a chance to to get your place at at around thirty eight hundred to four thousand, and then potentially try to be that guy and out uh, over five thousand for you know a quick uh, you know three thousand dollars. Um, but I think moving in now in, you know, the 5,000 plus range makes it hard to unload higher, um, and do so profitably. If you can get in at 5,000 and maybe hold for a couple of years and get out at 6,000, um, that's a pretty good place to be maybe. Um, but I liked it a lot more a couple of weeks ago. Fair enough. Was it, uh, what other things went on besides just the modern event? So in the legacy class, classic death and taxes took things down, um, which demonstrates that you know despite death and taxes being maligned by many players as not having the same power level as may, many decks in legacy, that the right uh, you know the right pilot that understands their metagame makes some uh, educated guesses as to what configuration they need to bring to the table, and you know strikes gold in terms of being right uh, about all that um, can certainly put up. Uh, major results in Legacy, and there's a lot of cards that are undervalued in Death and Taxes that are worth a look. Um, Eldrazi Colorless took second place. Um, again, Eldrazi dominant in all formats. Um, you know, four times Mimic uh, and four times Endless one in this version of Eldrazi that finished second, so that, that must warm your heart. It does. It really does. That was just last week. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm holding a bunch of those as well. Uh, and, you know, I just, I like the Eldrazi in general as long-term holds. They, they look very tasty. 
So let's uh, move on to our topic of the week. We're going to dive a little deeper on the very latest in uh, Eldritch Moon previews. Um, and I know you've got all sorts of cards you're excited about, Cliff, so why don't you walk me through some of your favorites? So there's so much good stuff to talk about. Um, my personal favorite is the meld mechanic. I think that uh, if you haven't had the chance to play with the big free monster out of Unglued, you're missing out. But now everybody's getting a chance to assemble a giant card out of two other cards, and it's just going to be amazing. Um, they, I don't know if they're done previewing all the uh, meld cards. Uh, I heard from one person that uh, that, that was it, that we're going the uh, mythic, the rare, and the common, but uh, I've not been able to confirm that quite yet. Uh, I love the foils. I already would would trade for foils hard from the get-go. There's not going to be enough of them for everybody who wants to play them. Well, and, I mean, just getting an altar done on a flip, a, a two-card flip combined foil <laughs> is uh, is definitely going to be a thing for collectors. I mean, it's a, it's a unique opportunity to have a very unique magic collectible. Um, whether or not you get it altered. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and again, it, it has one of the um, qualities that we look for uh, in cards that can spike long-term, which is that it's very difficult to reprint. Um, right. Uh, you know, flip cards re require a specific uh, configuration um, on the printing presses, and it's not something you can just casually toss into a set. So, um, and, and none of the ones that are printed look like they are... Um, you know, spike-oriented, hardcore, modern cards. So, you know, their first opportunity to be reprinted in that way, say in something like Modern Masters 2019 or something, is probably not going to be activated. Um, and as such, these cards almost certainly get the kind of necessary three- to five-year window without a reprint to really be able to show some solid returns. Off the top of my head, I can't think of a flip card that has been reprinted. Not in a supplemental set, not in except for the Comic Con Planeswalkers. That's the yeah. only exception that comes to mind. So the flip cards represent um, their own level of collectability and rarity, and especially especially in foil. Um, I also, I am going to take a minute and tell you all that whatever harmless offering ends up at in foil, get it. Uh, I think that this has the potential to be a 20 to $30 foil rare. You have the most ridiculous, adorable kitty cat on this card. And there are going to be a number of people who just want to have the foil kitty cat. There is going to be somebody at your store who collects these foil kitty cats. And I think that this isn't a necessarily a... This is a pick from the heart. This is not a pick from the wallet. Um, this is also, uh, interestingly the closest they have come in some time to a functional reprint of a reserved list card because it is it is donate and which is on yep. the reserve list now it's color shifted and if that's good enough if that's enough to soothe everyone who's worried about the reserved list and the ramifications of that 
then I don't know whether enough to say if this is a test. Do we? Does Wizards feel good about a color shift, or is it something that makes everybody nervous? Like, no, you can't do that. So we're going to find out the fun way. Yeah, I think there's going to be some grumbling about you know that the potential for those kind of things. And once you crack open that door, it's the fear factor that sets in and and potentially limits um, you know retail sales. Uh, I'm more interested, though, in Harmless Offering being paired with Demonic Pact for a few months. Um, Demonic (laughs) Demonic Pact has always been a a very powerful card that has has not found uh, a permanent home in standard. And there's no way I'm going to let that window of opportunity pass where I can get the value out of the Demonic Pact multiple times and then give it to somebody. Um, I mean, I feel like I've waited my whole life to uh, drain you for four, make you discard cards... Um, draw cards myself and then give you the the lose condition <laughs> that's just excellent. i mean it helps you it helps you draw to the the way to get rid of it what's not to love you play four of each and just you just do it uh make sure you take pictures of it and post all over the place you are not going to be the only one who wants to uh, get that achievement unlocked yeah I, a lot of people are going to be chasing that badge um so what else what else has caught your eye uh, I'm wondering about uh, the new one, Eternal Scourge, three colorless for a 3-3 three, three, that when it gets targeted, uh, is it by a spell or a spell or ability? Uh, whenever it's targeted by... Uh, a spell or ability. A spell or ability, exile it, and you can cast it from exile. So if it dies in combat, it's gone. it's just gone to the graveyard. But in every other context, even just a targeting of it, will remove it, and then you get to replay it. And 3 for a 3-3 is already an acceptable rate, but this has uh, some really intriguing things. Plus, uh, this is yet another card you can cast from Exile. Uh, So food chain shenanigans get one more component, and we'll see if if that's enough to put food chain as a, a, a legacy deck to really be reckoned with now that you don't need only Mist Hollow Griffin. This thing has multiple qualities that make me want to start testing it in both standard and modern immediately. Um, and I, and I, I posted that on Twitter and was immediately <laughs> jumped on by uh, none other than Hall of Famer and uh, top three magic player of all time, Kai Bude, who told me it's, it's not playable in standard um, so long as Dramoka's Command is around. Um, but I'm actually more interested um, to put it in something like uh, Bant Eldrazi alongside Collected Company in modern, where... This thing just becomes a, a yet another major value engine in that deck. I mean, the way that this interacts with both Lightning Bolt and Path to Exile cannot be overstated. This essentially, um, you know, it doesn't blank those cards because you still have to spend the mana to bring it back, and it's not a huge, uh, a high impact card. You know, it's not the kind of card you want to be recasting multiple times against something like Tron, who's or or a combo deck that's just going to work you out of the game on turn four or five while you're dirtling around with three threes. But there, there, there is something there, and it's it's both an Eldrazi and a horror. So um, Eldrazi Temple has a nice interaction with it. Um, the fact that it's a horror means that Thing in the Ice is a potentially potential play partner, um, and you know there's all these other shenanigans you can get into um, 
uh, while it's in exile or ways to put it in exile and then get it back anyway. It's enough of a potential value engine along multiple different dimensions that um, it's a card I think that we need to keep our eye on. And I'm looking for you know a player like a Sam Black to write up their article about you know the five best ways to abuse it so that I can decide whether I want to be pre-ordering foils or not. Um, I don't think you want to be pre-ordering foils quite yet, but uh, this is going to be a small set. So uh, there's we're only going to get two packs of this for the next three months, and then we're going to be all Twitter over Kaladesh all over again. And uh, there's some really fascinating things that uh, might be plants for later. Um, oh, you must be you must be talking about uh, Lupine Prototype, the uh, card revealed today. What is? I love it. It's it's Mecha Dog two mana five <laughs> five. Uh, I don't think we've seen a better two mana since uh, Mere Superion. I think it was a five six. Yeah, this isn't this isn't uh, a Mecha Dog. This is a Robo Wolf. And, uh, oh, excuse me for the difference I've, I've, between Mecha Dog and Robo Wolf. <laughs> I've I've made it my mission already that I'm going to kill somebody with this card this year, and I am definitely ordering foils because I think they're going to look great. Um, it's a five five for two. It can't attack or block unless a player has no cards in hand. That's exactly my kind of card. It to- totally does nothing and just loses me the game until I win. Um, but I, I'm curious as to whether this actually is slotted into the Black Red Vampire deck. That might be a possibility depending on. Uh, how many play pieces it gets because that deck wants to do things like discard its hand down to make its creatures bigger to attack harder and faster to cast things like fiery temper and you know needed some additional payoffs at the top end of the you know what's the last card you want to cast out of your hand in that deck probably this one i can tell you that uh at my shop uh three out of the last four drafts of shadows of remistrad i've opened the uh three one madness vampire wizard who if somebody has no cards in hand you draw an extra card and lose a life i've opened three of those in foil the last uh month and uh you're right they're they're trying they're trying to give us the pieces for this synergistic vampire deck you've got olivia that you can discard things for free the new uh voldaren uh no, i'm sorry the strong kirk condemned the two black uh, sorry it's black black for a two two you can pitch a card to give all your zombies, uh, excuse me, vampires 1-1 one, one until end of turn. So these free discard outlets are exactly what you mentioned. It's what you want to dump your hand, get all on the table, and attack like mad, which is a, a plan I can always get behind. And I, I, I think you're right. This offers a real payoff for having help it. So I added a couple of Olivia Mobilize for War uh, or a couple playsets, I guess, uh, onto my want list on Puka Trade when I saw Stromkirk Condemned uh, spoiled because it's basically Wild Mongrel um, uh, in standard. It, it's a 2-2 two, two, uh, for 2, discard a card, all your vampires, including it, get plus 1, plus 1 till end of turn. That's a pushed card for black. Um, and the other card that caught my attention was Valderin Pariah, um, uh, the the five casting costs three three flyer. Okay, that's not exciting, but it has madness of three black. So in a heavy black deck, it's essentially a three three flyer uh, for three um, that you're gonna madness into play. That is exciting, um, and then it's got just additional upside. You sacrifice three other creatures, and you transform it into uh, abolisher of bloodlines, which has 
absolutely insanely gorgeous art that's going to look amazing in foil. It's an Eldrazi vampire, 6-5 flyer, and when it transforms um, into Abolisher, you tar target opponent sacrifices three creatures. I mean, th that is a major wrecking ball. One of the things that has to be noted about the Condemned, it is not Wild Mongrel, because you can only do it once each turn. They're very specific on the limitation there. You are not allowed to dump your hand to it and uh, do shenanigans that way like you could with Wild Mongrel back in the day. That, that is a fair point. Um, but I'm not sure that the aggro deck needs to get uh, everything uh, plus two, plus two. might be enough to get plus one, plus one. Um, it also doesn't change color, which was also you know, uh, was a relevant thing at the time uh, and could be relevant here. Uh, ultimate price would kill it as long as it's only one color. If you could be multiple colors, then you're, you're good to go. But now you're getting into uh, shift territory. So the, the other Johnny card that really caught my eye was uh, the artifact Soul Separator for three. Um, Speaking for of five, gorgeous foils. Yeah. And five tap sack Soul Separator. Get this. You exile target creature from your graveyard. Put a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of that card, except it's 1-1, one, one, it's a spirit, and it has flying. You also put a black zombie creature into, into the, onto the battlefield with power equal to the card's power and toughness equal to the card's toughness. So you're sacking a creature from your graveyard, um, or exiling a creature from your graveyard, and you're getting two creatures, one of which has all the abilities but is a 1-1 one, one flyer, and one of which just mimics the power and toughness and is a black zombie. So immediately I'm thinking, well, obviously I want to discard Emrakul to the graveyard and with his trigger, original Emrakul, and with his trigger on the stack to shuffle him back into the library, I want to activate the Soul Separator so that I get a 1-1 Spirit Eldrazi Flyer that has uh, what I call Wrecked 6, um, <laughs> a, a, a.k.a. Annihilator 6, where the opponent is sacking 6 permanents every time this 1-1 attacks. And the 1-1 one one has protection from uh, colored spells because it's a copy of Emrakul. <laughs> so good luck getting rid of that. And I'm also getting a fifth... Even if you can deal with that that guy, you've got to deal with the 15-15 black zombie I just put on the table. So take your pick. You're working so hard for this. I'm really like impressed that you played a 3-drop artifact with a 5-cost uh, activation... Hopefully you discarded Emrakul for some kind of value, maybe to Nahiri or something. But uh, you, <laughs> I mean, we talked about we talked about achievement unlocked with the uh, the the I'm sorry, uh, Robo Mecha Wolf, Mecha Wolf, yeah. Robo Wolf, yeah, Robo Wolf. Excuse me. We talked about his achievement unlocked. Uh, this uh, they should just let you win the tournament at that point. <laughs> yeah, but see, what I'm, I mean, obviously this is you know mostly a casual kind of combo um but it's not insane to think that you get you get you get this all done on turn four like you you just need some kind of mana accelerator on one or two and and you drop the, the separator on two if you had a mana accelerator on one and then on turn four uh you you are you know some way to discard Emrakul, which is not hard you know everything from faithless looting on through and and then you activate for five, I mean, it, it could easily be done in turn five for sure. <laughs> and and artifacts aren't the kind of things that are are targeted um, pre sideboard. Uh, I also want to point out uh, another crazy combo uh, since we're talking crazy combos. Then this one's standard legal and it's going to be for the next year. 
is the Tree of Perdition and Triskaidekaphobia combo, which has already caused Triskaidekaphobia to uh, jump up by, looks like about half, uh, just in the last couple of days. Uh, the plant is the opposite of the, uh, the tree from Innistrad, so it's a 0-13 for 3 and a black with Defender. Tap, exchange target opponent's life total with the Tree of Perdition's toughness. So you can immediately put them at 13 life. Oh look, Triskaidekaphobia's trigger is on the stack. GG. Tree of Perdition is up on Star City Games right now at 4.99. Um, I think that's low. I'm sorry. Did you did you say the the regular one or the foil? Just the regular. It's a mythic. So uh, I mean, 4.99 is way too high. Is, way too high. It, it, I don't know. It, it, this could be a nothing that we pick up later at three dollars. Um, uh, but it it's flavorful enough and combo tastic enough that. I think this is a ten dollar mythic long term. Give this give this three years to mature. If it gets as low as as three as like a bulk mythic, then it's definitely ten down the road. And at five, I I'm I'm caught out wondering. Like I, I would pull the trigger, I think, on at least a playset, um, on the basis that this might actually be playable in standard at some point. The standard we're currently playing. Uh, come on, you like it's it's gonna get bounced. It's gonna get killed. It has to stay in play a turn. Your combo is going to be obvious. I don't think it's it. This is this is going to struggle. This is going to struggle to be. It's going to be two dollars because people are going to jam this and Triskaidekaphobia into every commander deck they can. And Godspeed. God, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm not even going to lie. But in standard, no way. I think that it's going to be like a two dollar mythic and it's going to be like a ten to fifteen dollar foil. That's I am de- I am definitely fulfilling my the my non MTG finance role as the super Johnny today, um, doing nothing but talking about bad cards and combos. Oh <laughs> but man! I, I I really I really want Tree of Perdition to get there. Um, uh, I don't know. It, it it's tingling tingling my spider senses. That card. It's it's if it was a rare, I, I'd be zero percent interested. But as at a mythic, if it's played, it'll be played as a four of. Right? We can agree to that. Yes. Sure. It has thirteen. It has thirteen toughness. Thirteen toughness, so it can block anything, and red spells can't kill it. Um, Have you seen what decks are playing these days? Reflector Mage makes this card so sad. Yes. True. True. Uh, yeah. Every every removal spell is gonna kill this. It, the like ultimate price is gonna kill this. Murder's getting reprinted. Mm-hmm. Yep. True. This, All true. Yeah. I, I'm willing to, to be crazy on this one. I, go, be, I'm not, go be crazy, but don't be $5 pre-order crazy. At, at three, would you buy it? I would think about it at three, but it is a long-standing policy of mine to just not pre-order. It's not, it's not worth it. If somebody wants to trade this away from me at the pre-release at five or six bucks, I will gladly give this away to them. I would trade one of these at the pre-release for what? Three of the... Um, the flip card, two and a green, uh, look at the top three, uh, Duskwatch Recruiter. I would gladly flip one of these for three Duskwatch Recruiter at the pre-release. So Tree of Redemption from Innistrad is still a $3 mythic. <laughs> so on that basis, uh, if I had looked, just looked that up and it was $10, then I would feel uh, a little spark of interest, but... Uh, the fact that the five, six-year-old version is is no better than three 
um, definitely tames my fire. Now the the green one is super defensive. There's no like there's nothing you can do to the opponent with it. At best, you're going to gain some life. You know, block some stuff, gain some life. Things are going to happen that way. But uh, honestly, like I while I respect your desire, like I think that you are much more likely. You know what? Here's here's your deck. Four demonic pact, four harmless offering, four tree of perdition, four triskaidekaphobia, and then uh, every wrath spell. That's going to be your deck, and you are going to have uh, 20% of your games where you win, and it's going to feel like the best thing ever. And you're going to have 80% of your games where you just get stomped, and you're going to feel sure. so bad. Yep, fair enough. The uh, Let's talk a little bit about Curious Homunculus. Uh, one in a blue for a 1-1. One, one. Tap to add colorless to your mana pool, but only if you're casting an instant or a sorcery spell. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, if there are three or more instant or sorcery cards, this is interesting because usually it's four, right? So three or more instant or sorcery cards in your graveyard, transform it, and then it becomes a three-four with prowess. Instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast. I think it's going to be really cute in foil. Uh, we have some evidence to suggest that when they print uh, a a cyclopy homunculus thing people will want to have a little extra on the uh the adorability uh, i'm not going to try and say f f f whatever the the one-eyed guy was from return to ravnica but i think that maybe this gets played alongside thing in the ice but uh you know it's a three four prowess way late in the game it makes stuff cheaper i wouldn't play it in the would you play this in the uh the the blue, the blue prison decks would you have this be your your only creature? I have no idea what this gets played in. I just when I see cost reduction on instants and sorceries, um, a relatively easy flip, and the ability to generate mana and having having prowess, these are all spike level abilities. And it it definitely has my ears perked up. Um, I could see foils of this being a thing. Like this could be a, an important uncommon foil for cube um, at minimum down the road. I think this is a fantastic casual card, and I am with you on the foil. Somebody's going to play this out in their stupid Teferi deck, and you're going to want to hurt them because it's doing so much good work for them. It's interesting that it reduces the cost on both sides, but on one side, it's only good for one spell on the first side because you're tapping to add a mana to, make things, to help you accelerate, and then it's still adding mana to your pool after it flips. I like the, uh, the synergy of that design. One of the other things that catches my eye is that um, when you have a, a unique ability like this and it's a build around and it's the first version of it, um, it's usually less exciting than the second because the second provides the consistency and the deck that you need for it to get better. Um, and because Goblin Electromancer already exists as a 2-2 two -two for two that uh, has the same ability as the backside of this card, it's possible to have both on the table at once, which starts to get pretty degenerate. Um, huh. In EDH... In EDH, there are blue-red decks based around, uh, uh, what's that guy, Mizzix? Yeah, Mizzix of the Niv Magus or something. Yeah, so uh, what does that guy's text read? Let me just look that up. So Mizzix says, whenever you cast an instant or a sorcery spell with converted mana cost greater than the number of experience counters you have, you get an experience counter. Instant and sorcery spells you cast 
costs one less to cast for each experience counter you have. So between Mizzix, Goblin Electromancer, and this guy, you can start casting some pretty gross instants and sorceries for extremely discounted prices. Um, I, I, I like uh, these foils. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna be looking at looking to see where this price settles early on. I think that um, actually you're you're onto something with the Electromancer comparisons for uh, how it works because you usually can't in those decks play the Mancer on the same turn you're going off. You need to untap with it in play. Uh, untapping with this in play, it doesn't seem hard to think that in those decks you'd already have three instants and sorceries in the yard uh, when you play it so that if it again you start with it in play here you go but uh, they're both super vulnerable and I, I'm not sure somebody's going to try to make it work and I'm, I'm with you on foils but I don't know if it's going to have the legs uh, yeah, I wanted I to mention. Oh, go ahead. It it, it could be a, a standard card, I think, in 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 a some kind of blue red control build sometime this oh, year. Oh yeah. I, I don't I don't think that makes it a a financial target. Um, but I do like the foils. Maybe potentially just on EDH play. I'll have to run that by uh, Jason Alt and see what he thinks. Um, let's uh let's let's talk about Eldritch Evolution. Oh, uh, this we is have a green to? green sorcery. Uh, one and two green. It's a rare. Um, as an additional cost to cast Eldritch Evolution, sack a creature. Then you search your library for a creature with converted mana cost X or less, where X is two plus sacrifice creatures converted mana cost. So you can, you're sacking a two casting cost creature, for instance, and you can get any creature that is four or less, right? Eternal Witness. Yes. Yeah. So. And then get the card back, and then go find <laughs> something that costs five. Uh. I'm not sure what you're going to go find. Probably something silly like uh, Karmic Guide to flicker back your uh, Eternal Witness and get it back and then just continue the chain. I think How about like Eternal Witness into Karmic Guide? Yeah, that's that's pretty hot. Uh, <laughs> but I, but I also just... like doing dumb things like you, you can sacrifice new Emrakul into old Emrakul. There you uh, go. You go from thir 13 casting cost to 15 casting cost. That's that's super reasonable. Uh, maybe this is what makes... Um, uh, what's the name of that wizard from Scourge who flips over for a, mor for a morph of a blue and he's an 8-drop? Uh, what's he called again? Hang on. Uh, crap, I can't remember his name. Let me look it up. Uh, I am not the guy. There are certain players um, like Sam Black who seem to have encyclopedic knowledge of interaction, potential interactions that I'm sure are going to have all sorts of interesting ideas uh, for this card. And you know, as a rare in a small set in the summer, um, it has some potential if it could be demonstrated to be valuable in modern. Um, I have a trouble of picturing it there as a sorcery. If it was an instant, it would be much more exciting. I think. Um, oh. But given that collected co collected company already kind of fills that four of let's get some value creatures kind of slot in that format, um, and and this is no birthing pod. Um, well, this is this is trying to fix birthing pod is what it is. Um, the the timing is not coincidental that this is about a year and a half, two years after birthing pod. Has it been that long? It's been more like a year. No, it's uh, been two two since it was banned. I think. So about then, so they tried to put a fixed version in there, and that so ideally, since it's a sorcery, 
Uh, you're only going to get to do this once, maybe twice, depending on how many you draw or if you bring it back somehow. But um, it's it's not going to enable the same kind of combo shenanigans, probably. Uh, anytime uh, you have a card that lets you go find anything and put it into play, you have to think about it. You have to give that uh, due consideration, and maybe we don't break it right away, but this is a card that people are going to look to break, just like Court of Calling, just like uh, anything, the Green Sun Zenith was too good for Modern. So anytime you can do something and get something right into play, you got to think about it, even if it's got the cost of sacking a dude. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be some value chains that people are going to uncover with this card that that will make it uh, at least worth looking at and keeping keeping an eye on. The uh, anything else that really uh, grabbed your your interest? Um, Gisa and Geralt. Uh, I am going to be all over foils of this. Um, <clears throat> I don't think the non foils are going to have legs, but uh, like four mana, four four is already decent. Uh, you get to mill yourself for four, and in each turn you can cast one zombie card. This is, I don't know if it's better than playing Grimgrin in Commander, but uh, it's something that you're going to have to think about. And really fun is that you can play Gisa and Geralf and then play either one of the original Commander Legends with the card, and that's just flavor and value city. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I mean... It Regardless of whether it's the commander, it still slots into that deck. So I like the foils, especially if they um, people aren't turned on to them right away. I mean, we'll have to see uh, what kind of demand is is on those foils. Um, some obvious commander cards tend to kind of peak. Uh, their foils tend to peak real early, and you don't really ever get a chance to move in. But be something to watch for sure. And uh, I think that's it for what I want to talk about. I love... Um, Gisela and uh, Bruna into the giant meld ones. I think the foils are going to be super overpriced. And oh, uh, one thing that I did uh, that did occur to me, the uh, what's the escalate mechanic? Uh, this is going to be something that when it's in foil, I'm going to want it very badly because uh, cubers are going to be very into uh, this sort of um, modality. Uh, but nothing makes a cube player happier than having uh, modal spells like the Blessed Alliance, one in a white, Escalate 2. You can pay two mana and do extras of these. So for just the original one in a white, you can gain four, target player gains four, untap two creatures, target opponent sacrifices an attacking creature. So for four mana, I can make you sack a creature, untap two of mine, and if I want to pay six, I can do all three of those things. Yeah, that's got sexy blowout written all over it. The, I guess the other really does. Um, yeah, unsubstantiate one in a blue for an instant return target spell or creature to its owner's hand. There's some debate as to whether this card is playable, um, and I, I would need to test it to be sure. But having played enough Venser uh, in my day, um, I think people often underestimate what it, the tempo advantage of putting. Uh, uh, a spell back in somebody's turn and essentially stealing it um, for this much mana um, and the ability to you know bounce either your creature or their creature at a key moment uh, just being gravy um, the other thing that's uh, 
pretty sexy looking is Thalia's Lancers. Three and two white for a 4-4 four, four first strike, so the rate is already reasonable. And you're, you get to search your library for any legend, reveal it, and put it in your hand. Yeah, Jason had a, a whole article about that uh, just the other day, and uh, there's there's literally no limit to the shenanigans this has, in, especially in Commander. Uh, go find your uh, your Chroma's Memorial. Go find whatever legendary land you need. Uh, go find like you could use this to search up your Gaia's Cradle. Uh, use this to go find uh, whichever one of the Hondans you want. Uh, not just searching up. And not just creatures, it's any legendary permanent. If we use time of need as the template for what it, what the you know that it's basically two mana to go get a legend, then you're getting a four four first strike for three. So it's it's value incarnate. If you start blinking this with something like um, Eldrazi Displacer, then things get it. Oh, oh, come on! Things, things get real gross, oh. um, especially if you have something like Training Grounds. Oh. <laughs> now, play. sure, why not, man? Why not? I'm going to go make a sandwich while you do your turn, and <laughs> when I get back, you can tell me if I'm dead. Let, let's see. I have uh, Training Grounds and Eldrazi Displacer and eight mana up, so I think I'm just going to go get eight Legends and put them in my hand. Um, yeah, that's a cool card. I, I think the foils um, are going to be targeted early. I'm not sure there's going to be an entry point, um, but I'm certainly going to want a couple of copies for my Commander decks. I think that's it for stuff that we've seen so far. We still have a little ways to go. Um, I kind of wish uh, Docent of Perfection was a legend. I think that would be a really, uh, really fun commander. Yeah, fair enough. All right, so I mean, I think everybody's heard uh, me prattle on uh, long enough about uh, reckless Johnny theories for non-competitive <laughs> magic cards. Um, so we'll call that a wrap for this week. And uh, where can people find you online, Cliff? Uh, you can find me, my columns go up every Friday on mtgprice.com. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Word of Commander. And as usual, you guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com. Um, I've got a big one uh, uh, on Puka Trade, a uh, fairly intensive deep dive on the mechanics and uh, methods of Puka Trade that is going to be posted later this weekend, so keep an eye out for that. And uh, I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Oh, that brings us to the end, and this is a good time, James. I need you to keep us all posted about your janky standard combos because there's two you're going to get to play in the same deck. <laughs> Thanks, Cliff, and we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.